Reflecting on the characteristics of all existent things, along with uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta, uncertainty, unsatisfactoriness, not self. Also the fundamental nature of all patterns of experience, all things, as being part of the natural order, Dhamma Titata, established in Dhamma, the very fabric of all things, is that they are part of nature, part of the natural order, physical, mental. There is no thing that cannot be part of the natural order. Dhamma things function according to the laws of nature. There's an orderliness, a lawfulness in the way that things form, change, interact. Another aspect of the characteristics of all existent things is that they are iddapachayata. Idda means this. Pachaya is conditioned by. Iddapachayata literally means conditioned by this. It's the law of specific conditionality. In a way, this is also related to Dhammaniyamata, that orderliness with the way things change, the way things interact. So we can reflect upon all our experiences, the sensations of the body, the sounds we hear, the memories we have, the things we see, smell, taste, touch, think, the patterns of our emotions, the buildings that we occupy, the land we walk on, the sky above us, these are all iddapachayata. We talk about things, our language we say, this is a thing, this is a, a building, we say this is the Amravati temple, or this is a person, this is a microphone, this is a sitting. Our language speaks in terms of things, as if they were fixed, separate objects. But to reflect upon iddapachayata, particular aspect of experience, particular quality, is pointing to the fact that really there are no things, there are more events as a, a flow of processes. Now this temple, we say, the Amravati temple, maybe it's going to be here a long time, built to last for a thousand years, but a hundred years ago, these were fields of St. Margaret's farm. Then it became St. Margaret's school, then it became Amravati. 
And we took down the old school gymnasium, built the temple. So now we call this particular spot the temple. It's a flow of events. So we use the term a thing as a shorthand, a convenient way of speaking. But to reflect upon idapachayata is to let go of that thingness and to rather see life as a, an experience of process. Letting go of the contents of experience, looking at, knowing, feeling, that flow, that process of events, and one event conditioning another. The earth turns, so darkness turns into light. The sun shines upon this particular patch of the planet, and we say, daytime, 8.35 in the morning. Now, cultivating this kind of attitude changes the way the mind relates to the world of things, our body, our name, our story, the people around us, the buildings, the landscape, the weather. There's a letting go of the content. The mind does not create a solid, fixed set of things, but instead, appreciates, apprehends that quality of flow. It looks instead of the content of experience, it looks at the process, that flowingness, that quality of change, and the relatedness of one thing to another. Now in this, the Buddha points very directly to the, the differences that we can make. This is not just a passive condition of see, recording events as they flow by, but our capacity to act, the mind's ability to make choices, is part of that flow, is part of the way things are. So, the central aspect of the Buddha's teaching is that the choices that the mind makes have an effect, they make a difference. So the practice of Dhamma is not just becoming a, an abstracted, separate, disconnected observer, but rather there is an in inherent, natural participation of the heart in the way things are. So as we develop the practice, opening the heart to that flow of perception, the flow of those events, then we see that the choices that we make have an effect. And over and over again, the Buddha encourages choosing the wholesome, laying aside the unwholesome. A part of the development of wisdom is recognizing this is skillful, this is wholesome. If this is followed, then there's greater clarity, 
brightness of heart, feelings of self-respect and joy that arises from wholesome activity, wholesome, skillful choices. If there's an unskillful choice, the, the mind is drawn by aversion or lust or selfishness, fear and greed. That reduces the brightness of the heart, it obstructs the qualities of vision, creates self-criticism, painful mind states. As Lumpo Cha would point out over and over again, goodness is not intrinsically good, badness is not intrinsically bad. But if goodness is followed, it helps to brighten the mind shouldn't be attached to or identified with, but it creates the ground for wisdom, mindfulness, to develop, to grow. Unwholesomeness poisons the ground, limits the capacity, obstructs the heart. So in this development of, of vision, the development of wisdom, recognize moment by moment the choices that can be made. And when the wholesome is chosen, letting go of the unwholesome, see the effect of that. Notice the effect of that. When the unwholesome is chosen, we follow an irritated impulse or we absorb into some fantasy or some desire object. We follow a critical, destructive impulse. Look at the result of that. Explore that. Know that. Let it speak for itself. This is speaking about the skillful ways of cultivating a relationship of the jitta to the world of objects, the flow of experience, a flow, a process of events, one thing affecting another. But those flow of perceptions, they don't end. Samsara is endless. One object keeps affecting another and another and another. The world is endless. Samsara is endlessness. When the Buddha was speaking to Rohitasa, this deva who had been a yogi trying to walk to the end of the world, the Buddha said to Rohitasa, you can't get to the end of the world by walking, but I tell you, unless you get to the end of the world, you won't get to the end of suffering. That was a puzzle, it was a confusing statement. You can't get to the end of the world by walking, but unless you get to the end of the world, you won't get to the end of suffering. Reflecting upon this, what does this mean? The Buddha said, uh, went on to say to Rohitasa, it's within this very fathom-long body, with its perceptions and its thoughts, there is the world, the origin of the world, 
the cessation of the world and the way leading to the cessation of the world. What this is pointing to is the way in which the world is perceived, is known. That's the, the essential element, the crucial thing. I would say an easy way of understanding this is to recognize it's in this awakened awareness, this quality of vicha, this is where the world ends, this knowing heart. This is where the world, the solidity of the world, the substantiality of the world, it ends here, this quality of awakened awareness in the subject the ultimate subject, that knowing, awake, aware heart. Vicha, transcendent awareness. This is where the world ends, where the world is known and the empty, insubstantial nature of the world is known right here. So in developing this practice, the cultivation of insight, vipassana, is a lot to do with embodying that quality of awakened awareness, being the knowing, as Lumpur Sumedho would so often say. Not me being aware, or me practicing awareness, but embodying being that awake, aware quality with no sense of self identified or attached to it. Being the Dhamma. Being Dhamma, knowing its own nature. This is really the core, the heart of Dhamma practice. Practicing Dhamma, being Dhamma, embodying Dhamma. Now the thinking mind likes to imagine and describe and says, well, what is, what is this awareness? Is this my true self or what does it look like or where do I find it? Or The thinking mind uses memory and imagination, language, concepts to try and create a picture of a thing to be. It creates time, space, individuality, number, language. These are the tools that we put together, the pictures of the world, inside, outside, me, you, up, down, blue, red, yellow, green, black, white, here, there, past, future. These are the, the building blocks that are used to create images of the world and ourselves. But essentially, Dhamma is unimaginable, unimageable. You can't create an image of it. Shape doesn't apply.
time doesn't apply. Place doesn't apply. Individuality doesn't apply. Number. Concepts don't apply. So there's no image the mind can create to represent that. But just because there's not an image doesn't mean there's not anything real. In his dialogue with Vachagota, when Vachagota had been asking what happens to an enlightened being after the body dies, the Buddha spoke about his own nature, the nature of the, the Tathagata, which also means the nature of that awake, aware quality of the heart. He said that material form, that feeling, perception, that mental formations, that consciousness, where, whereby someone trying to describe the Tathagata would describe him, any pattern, any form, any structure, whereby someone's trying to describe that awake, aware quality. So the Tathagata has cut that off at the root, made it like a palm tree stump, deprived it of the conditions for existence, and rendered it incapable of arising in the future. The Tathagata is liberated from being reckoned, being measured in terms of form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. He is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean. So this quality of awakened awareness, the Buddha gives it uh, at least a little bit of a description profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean. There's a vastness, a spaciousness, a mystery. But below the surface of that sea, that ocean, you can't say what's there, you can't say how deep it is. It's mysterious, powerful, immeasurable. So in the development of, of wisdom, of insight, there's no need to come up with a description or a claiming an identity. Being that awake, aware quality, that's the important thing. Doesn't need to be made into a person or have a description. The Tathagata is liberated from being measured in terms of the five khandhas. So there's no point trying, but the mind can be awake, can be aware, can know. Can know the world and be unlimited by the world. And that's how the end of dukkha is realized. As he said, you can't get to the end of dukkha without getting to the end of the world. Embodying that awake, aware quality, that's how dukkha is ended. That's how the end of the world is reached. The empty, insubstantial, fluid nature of the world is realized. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, emotion is known as intrinsically empty, insubstantial, impersonal. 
the world is ended, the substantiality, the solidity of the world is ended, but nothing is lost. Rather, the heart is liberated, known as limitless, timeless, free of all boundaries. <laughs>